Iowa everywhere. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is Iowa Everywhere. And now it's time for Two Guys Named Chris, powered by Fairway Meat and Grocery. This is Iowa Everywhere. For the fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Two Guys Named Chris. It is Monday, October the 24th. My name is Chris Williams. I'm joined, as always, by Chris Hassel. And we are presented by our friends at Fairway Meat and Grocery. Presented um, also as well by our friends at Circa Sportsbook. We'll tell you a little bit more about them later on in the program, but we want to thank Fairway. They were the first sponsor to come on to Iowa Everywhere, and we appreciate that more than you guys know. Uh, Chris Hassel had a wild one in Conference USA this weekend. We will talk about that later on in the program. Iowa State had a week off, which was kind of nice, Chris. I just got to sit back and uh, watch the carnage. Um, I don't mean that. I I wasn't taking – I actually – felt bad for Iowa fans. I felt really bad for Spencer Petras. Um, it feels like the 50-10, the 54-10 loss. I feel like we've come to a head with this Iowa football program. What happens from here, we will see. But it um, that Cleveland.com article, the reaction just you're seeing everywhere, doesn't it feel like we're at a kind of a head at this thing right now? Yeah, it took a blowtorch to uh... – to what's going on in Iowa City, and I, uh, I, I dived into that a little bit more, um, just to kind of, I wanted to know more about the guy's background who, who wrote the article, and when I did that, because it seemed it seemed really harsh and almost, almost personal, and so I, I, I dived in a little bit more, and it turns out he does have a connection to Iowa, and the Iowa Hawkeyes. His wife is from Iowa. He has a family full of Iowa Hawkeye fans. Oh, really? So, so this isn't just like a Ohio State guy just dropping bombs. I mean, this is a guy who, who knows a lot of Iowa Hawkeye fans, who is hmm. related to a lot of Iowa fans, and is, and is sick and tired of it from, from his perch in Columbus. Fascinating. Uh, good work out of you on that. I, I didn't put any of that together. I, I don't know. It just, Chris, it feels like a new low for it does definitely for the Ferentz regime. If you look at what happened early in that football game, well, let's just let's just get. Would right. you say? Would you say it's a new low? You're saying? Are you saying for this season? Are you saying for Brian Ferentz's tenure at Iowa? Or are you I, saying for Kirk Ferentz's twenty plus years at Iowa? I think the whole. Well, okay, so that's loaded because. I would say Rabdo was the biggest low, and then the racial accusations, right? I mean, but those I'm for on the field. I I think you go back to 1999, and everybody was like, "Oh, we're building something here." Mm-hmm. And you, yeah, you, 99 you, was a pass. Yeah, you, and and then by 2000, by the middle of 2000, you already saw them yeah, taking steps this, forward. Well, this feels like to me like, and I'm not, I'm not an Iowa fan, but I I follow it and. Half of my friends are Hawkeye fans, you know, right? Like I'm, I'm invested in this too. And you, what you look at it now, forty-two million dollar buyout, by like the worst offense in modern football. That's not a triple option. Okay, so like when you look at a lot of these numbers, you got to look at like they're not trying to do that. <laughs> Right, <laughs> like their passing offense is worse than some option teams, which is a really a, a, a horrific statistic. Um, you've got the nepotism stuff. You still have the racial thing that's just kind of hanging over this program. No matter how it turns out, you can't deny that it's there. Right? It's just it's just kind of this cloud right now. To me, it feels like yeah, this is the the lowest low because 
I don't see what the quick fix would be here. One, like, okay, you fire Brian Ferentz. I don't think there's any offensive coordinator worth a damn that's going to want to come and do this. And two, like, I think you've got major um, recruiting problems that you're potentially staring at down here just because of the uncertainty. Yeah, it's a lot deeper than just one season, one game, yeah. right? I mean, it's – yeah, you might – you might be moving on from Brian Ferentz after this year, or he's reassigned within the the program, but it's still Kirk Ferentz calling the shots as the CEO of the program. And it's still Kirk Ferentz who is going to decide how this offense looks. And there are so many problems. I mean, I, I think the the most glaring now is the, is the offensive line. And, and people have been saying that all season, but this is, when you look at Kirk Ferentz's background, he is an offensive line coach. This is his thing. They've never had a bad offensive line until last season. And somehow it got worse this season. There were plays where Petrus or Padilla were getting the snap and the offensive lineman wasn't even getting a hand on the defensive lineman. So they would just come busting through. And as a quarterback, that has to be in the back of your mind every time you take the snap that you're not going to have any time to throw the football. And then your receivers, which you've been harping on all season, you've got nobody out there that's a real legitimate playmaker, a game breaker. And Iowa rarely has that. But you don't have to go back too long to find an Iowa team that had DJK and Marvin McNutt on the same team. And Tony Moyaki at the tight end position. And a good stable of running backs and a great offensive line and a a competent quarterback. In Ricky Stanzi, yeah, or or, uh, or C.J. Beathard. I mean, this <clears throat> this is as bad I I think as on the field as it's probably been in the Ferentz tenure. There there were some lean years, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. But you could at least sell hope then. Yes. You, you could. And there were some moments where they would step up and they would upset somebody. And, you know, they had the one year where they won four games. And this is looking like it's going to be another one of those four-win seasons. And we talked after the Iowa State game. And then after the, the following game after that, I can't remember who that was against. Nevada, whoever. When they won 27 nothing, but Nevada is one of the worst, if not the worst teams in the country. We talked about how is this team going to get to bowl eligibility? How are they going to get to six wins? Now it looks impossible. And no one was chalking this up as a win. Even going into the season, no. when I thought Iowa was going to be an eight-win team, I didn't think they had a chance in this game. But as a whole, looking at this and... From the head coach to the play caller to the personnel, I think you might be able to beat Northwestern, and that's it. And that game actually looks a lot tougher now. I mean, Fitzgerald has those guys at least competing. They're not winning games, but they're – I mean, that line came out. I'll be honest with you, Chris. I bet it the second I saw it at 10.5. Like, a 31-point number and they're a 10 – or an 11-point favorite, like, that's insane. You take the points every time. But one of the the things to me, it's like you're coming out of a bye week. And that first pass by Spencer Petrus was hmm. potentially the worst of his career. Potentially. That was, we are running this play, and I'm going to throw it to this guy in this spot no matter what. I'm not even looking at what the defense is doing. And was anybody surprised? No, and I can even say I was so the first quarter I was driving back to Southwest Iowa when I was listening to the Hawkeye Radio Network, and you could just hear it in Dolph and Podolak too, like they were they were already defeated. Um, well, Eddie, and, let's pack it up. <laughs> uh, Eddie said something like, I, "I'm paraphrasing," but he goes, "Oh my God, that was bad." Like, <laughs> Well, Gary, it's going to be a long day in Columbus. Hope you brought your knapsack. The the decision to put in Alex Padilla, and I couldn't help, but and here I am drinking beer in my sister's garage. Wow, you were drinking beer during a noon game? Yeah. Well, it's a bye week, bro. Okay, okay. Don't judge me. I won't judge. Well, I already did, but I'll stop judging. It was great. I had a great bye week. Southwest Iowa, 
We put TVs in the garage. My dogs are the dogs are running around. The kids are running around. <laughs> we got beer everywhere. It was phenomenal. We got o- over there in the shadows of the academy in Clorinda. <laughs> I, that did get brought up to me. I was at Casey's and the guy I went to high school with says, "Hey, will you quit bagging on the academy? It employed a lot of people." <laughs> um. I I felt a little bit like a hypocrite, and I'm I'm guessing a lot of people maybe felt this way. But like, I know so where you're going. I I tweet get Petrus out of the game. It is cruel what you were doing to this young man. He's mentally broken, and I stand by all that. And then Alex Padilla comes in, fumbles his first snap, throws an <laughs> interception on his third snap, and we're all asking, well, perhaps that is the upside. Your thoughts? It's the worst possible time to make that change. There were many, many opportunities for Kirk Ferentz to make that change this season where it could have made a difference, where it could have been an advantageous position for Padilla. And it goes all the way back to game one. I mean, I don't know how they didn't bench him in game one. I don't know how they didn't bench him against Iowa State. I don't know how they didn't make the move before the game against Nevada or during the game when there were several intermissions because of lightning delays. (laughs) But you wait until the game against perhaps the best team in the entire country when your offense is at its absolute worst, when the game is already decided, you're already down big, and Ohio State now is just teeing off. That's when you make the change. And again, I'm not surprised. The, like if there's a worse if there's a worse spot to make a change, Kirk Ferentz would have done it. Yeah, but I, I I agree with you in that yes we're all calling for the change, but we and they make the change and we're like oh god you shouldn't have made that change here. But we've been <laughs> calling for this change all season. We've been calling for this change going back to last season, and whether it's Padilla or Labus or somebody in the transfer portal, the change needed to be made. Either week zero, week one, week two, or off-season last season. This shouldn't have been made in the middle of this season against the best team perhaps in the country. Yeah, well, that kind of goes back to my theory that I've been touting since the end of the Iowa State game that they want to look like they're right. Yeah, yeah, you've you've kind of been saying that. I mean, uh, they so should have made think the- this was all part of the plan. You know what? No. We're going to wait until we play the best team in the country. And then we're going to fall behind by 20. That's when we're going to make the change. I just don't understand like what like I'm just going off of what they've been saying, okay? And I I fully understand that coaches just talk out of their ass in these press conferences. I see it all the time for 20 years. I'm going off of what Brian Ferentz has told us. Specifically, Brian, but then Kirk as well. What I mean, what could have possibly changed in the first half with Petrus that was like, okay, well now we're gonna now we're gonna put in right. Padilla, right? Like, it, yeah, it he just, looked the exact same as he has. It, and every it's not game this you season. can't say, oh, we needed to spark because if you want to spark, you put him in at halftime against Iowa State. Right, that's when you make th- that's this game was to, decided. this game was over. So now you already have one quarterback whose confidence is shot. He's done. <laughs> Petrus is done. He needs to transfer. I I hope and I, there's no place for him probably in college football because of the statue that he is. But I hope and pray that that young man can find a landing spot and not end his career like this because that it sucks. I hope he can go and play FCS somewhere and have a fifth year. What hope, FCS team is gonna probably not want a quarterback like you that? You see my point. Fine, D two. I, I understand your sentiment. Yes. Um, now you've shot him, he's done, and now we're going to put in Padilla in this spot. And by the way, they're good on defense now. This mm-hmm. is not the same old the, – the Jim Knowles thing is real. That is a top-10 defense. They're this paying him different. $2 million a year to run that yeah. defense. This is a different Ohio State. So you put him in in that spot, and I hope to hell that Alex Padilla can bounce back. And I thought he did. I thought he settled in. I also think – Chris, it's completely unfair for anybody to judge Alex Padilla based off of Saturday. Agree. That that, that doesn't stop people from doing it. Yeah, the people it's completely that, unfair. And there weren't many, but people like a Kirk Ferentz, like a Brian Ferentz, that might say, see, I told you so. 
see, this isn't a quarterback problem. This is an offensive line problem. And don't get me wrong. Like I said, the offensive line is a major problem. But in that circumstance, there was no way you were winning. There was no way that you were going to look halfway decent, no matter who you are at quarterback, against that team in that situation where they smell blood and they've been hearing all week about how Iowa put up 55 points against us last time we played. Now, those guys weren't on that team, but a lot of those coaches were. So they made sure they knew about it. And they made sure they knew that, look, this is a style point situation. We need all the style points we can get. We're going to keep putting up points all the way until the end. And Iowa not only fails to cover, doesn't even come close to covering with a defensive touchdown. That's crazy. Yeah. Can I talk about this? I want to go back to this Cleveland.com article for a minute. Yep. I don't know why this isn't getting more play, and perhaps it will this week. The media really hasn't had a lot of time here. Do you – I don't know. I I don't want to say it offends me because, I I mean, I've known this for forever. The Gary Barta quotes from this Cleveland.com article kind of got buried a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thanks, Matt. Got it put up on the screen here for us. For those in the podcast, I'll I'll read it to you. These are Gary Barta quotes. First of all, Kirk has been doing this for a long time. I've been with him for 17 years, and at the end of the year, he evaluates every part of the program, every staff member, and that's what I know he will do this year. In the meantime, we have five games. He's never changed staff members in the middle of the season. That's his plan now, and I'm going to support him, and at the end of the season, we'll see where it goes. Isn't he supposed to be in charge of Brian Ferentz? (laughs) Legally, yes. But well, I'm just really, saying, like, legally, do you really buy that? No, I, I don't. I never have. But like, he's not talking like that to a no journalist here. Re- I, I agree, because Gary Barta could—he's the one in charge of Brian Ferentz. So if 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 Brian Ferentz is going to be fired, it's Gary Barta that has to do it. Correct. I just wanted to make sure I understood this correctly because I'm reading yes. those quotes and I'm like, man, he's not even trying to pretend. Gary Bart, yeah, he's 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 almost he's basically saying if Kirk tells me to do something, I'll do it. Until then, not happening. So it's still Kirk in charge. And I will we, say we knew we know that we know that. <laughs> but didn't you find it interesting that he's not even trying to pretend like that? That's pretty arrogant. And he's found himself in some legal issues before, as we know. It is. Um, but again, are you surprised? No. I'm not. Van Winkle's got some sound on this. Let's let's see what Kirk Ferentz had to say. Yeah, well, so we I answered that question two weeks ago. I've never done that in my career. I don't plan on starting right now. Our approach has always been to address what's uh, what's out there and see what we can do to improve. And you know, it's been pretty consistent for 24 years, almost 24 years now. And that's that's the plan moving forward. It's been fairly successful. Uh, I think you're talking about two separate job descriptions and two separate uh, you know areas of responsibility. Uh, I know people do it. Uh, I know it's been done. It's been done this year. Again, it's just not my preference. Uh, you know, my preference has been to play it out. Uh, and there's evidence to show that you know it's worked pretty well in the past so we'll play it out and then we'll do our assessments and our evaluations uh when everything's over and uh, the season's not over so when the season's over we'll make an evaluation i think it's best for our program we've uh at least i've tried to treat everybody with consistency on our staff past and present same thing with players we've had three family members play as well in our program and uh you know they gotta earn everything they get just like coaches do got any takeaways from that I, and I listened to the full press conference today again, all 22 minutes or so. Um, it's exactly what I expected to hear from Kirk Ferentz. He is set in his ways. He is not going to change. And the more he's pressed, the more he's going to dig in. And he will say, bring up the past time and time again, that it's been pretty successful for the program. And when you look at the program as a whole over the 20-plus years, 
you could say that's true. But when you look at each instance individually, how can you say that making a change in 2012 or 2013 midseason wouldn't have been better for that particular season and then help them turn the corner quicker? I just think he's going to fall back on everything he's done over the past because he has the past to lean on. The fact that he's been there so long and been one of the more successful coaches in Iowa history, that they just won 10 games last year. They just won the Big Ten West last year. He's going to continue to go back to that and say, look, this, this, it's my way. This is the way I've been doing it, and I'm not going to change for anybody. He's not going to change with the times, and he's not going to change for you. So <laughs> I think in any other circumstance, in any other job program in the country, the offensive coordinator would be fired by now, midseason. The offense is that bad. Offensive coordinators have been fired for much better offenses just this season. Yeah, we're seeing that. Look at Boise State. Like They fired their guy. They've been 4-0 since. Rutgers, I mean, the team that Iowa beat fired their offensive coordinator. Like, There's a ton of examples of it. But it's Kirk Ferentz. And it's his way. And make no mistake, Gary Barta is not going to step on Kirk Ferentz's toes. Kirk Ferentz has been there longer than Gary Barta. Kirk Ferentz doesn't really report to Gary Barta. Kirk Ferentz is the boss. He has more power than Barta, and Barta is not going to make him do anything, even if he wanted to, which he doesn't. You saw you put out a tweet on Saturday night. Uh, it's a it's a comp I've made for couple years now uh the gary patterson comp with tcu and what they're doing right now with with sonny dykes um now granted gary patterson didn't win 10 games the year before he was let go that is the difference uh but the problem is here um and i i i truly think and i i study the big 12 you know that i think this is very similar to the Patterson deal. I, I thought it was a brilliant tweet that you put out on Saturday night because it just feels like uh, – and, and I say this, Chris, more off based off of last year than this year, okay? You guys won 10 games. You won 10 games. And I'm an Iowa State fan sitting here thinking, these entitled pricks being Iowa fans, okay? You won 10 games. And your fan base was miserable. Miserable at the end of the year. That uh, We could have done our entire three-hour show on KXNO every day taking calls from pissed-off Iowa fans after a 10-win season. Mm-hmm. The whole familiarity bring, breeds contempt thing. And, th- and I saw the same thing with Patterson, where it was just like, I just don't think at the end of the day – and I'm a – Gary Patterson guy, he's one of my top five favorite coaches of all time. Him, Pat Fitzgerald, I love guys like that who take something and build up their own thing, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I, I like program guys. Gundy, really respect Kirk and Campbell for how they've done it and what they're doing. When you leech, when you win in the place that doesn't isn't used to winning, Patterson's the epitome of that. Patterson's the reason they're in the Big Twelve. Without Gary Patterson, TCU, tiny little Christian school, they're not in the Big Twelve. And he had more success over his tenure than Kirk Ferentz has had. When yeah. you look at those seasons he's put together, the 12 and 13 win seasons, the, the New Year's six bowl wins, you stack his resume up against Ferentz's, and I think you could easily make the argument that Patterson was more successful at TCU than Ferentz has been at Iowa. There's a statue of him outside the stadium. Midway through last season, they say, you know what? It's not trending in the right direction. And it brings me to this time. question. We need to change. And I'm trying to go a different route here than most talkers that you're going to hear today. I'm going back to Gary Barta. Why did he? Why did Kirk Ferentz need that monster extension at the end of last year when your fan base was already that pissed off? Why? What was the point? That There are a million reasons they could have not done that. And the, to the tweet you pointed out, 
to the comp you made with Iowa and TCU, guess what? You guys are handcuffed. You're handcuffed. There's when, no question. Why did Gary Barta moving on from Ferrin, from Kirk Ferentz? Yes. Why did Gary Barta make that extension? Hmm. Uh, that, why did Why did he give Fran McCaffrey the extensions that he did at the at the times he did it when they tried to hide it afterward? They didn't even announce it publicly because they knew it wasn't going to look good. Gary Barta, to me, just does whatever the the big-time coaches in the program tell him to. That's all he does. He makes sure they're happy. They're fat and happy. Well, I'm glad that this Cleveland.com guy pressed him on that. Because um, it, it was telling to me that he's not even trying to fake it. I think he needs more heat. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, whatever, we all know about Barda's past, but, man, like, when is he going to get some heat for what the hell is going on right here. And he's the reason they can't make a move. He's the reason. Barta is. Barta, yeah. yeah. Listen, who's going to make the move anyway? Unless the president steps in, that's not going to happen. And I don't think she's the type, from what I know, that will do that. This isn't... Now, I I, I do think things are going to change this offseason. They have to. I think that they're going to be forced because I think right now they are hearing from a ton of donors and season ticket holders who are telling them, if you don't change, I will. And that's not going to be good for you. Now, Kinnick Stadium is not going to be half empty next year. But if no changes are made, it's going to be as empty as it's been since Ferentz's first season. The home schedule sucks, too, next year. They don't and, that's have. Not, that, and that's why they sold out this year. The home schedule was great this year. It wasn't because fans were just so excited about this team. Sometimes the home set schedule just sets up. Yeah. Next year, fans are really bad. They're sick and tired of seeing this offense. Like, who, who's going to show up to these games at the end of the year? I'm interested to see the end of the year now. With all these games sold out, who actually decides to show up? Because there's no way in hell that I'm going to spend five, six, seven hours going to watching, traveling to a game to watch that product on offense. And that goes back to what you were saying last year. You win 10 games and the fan base is pissed. Why? Because the style of football they're playing isn't fun to watch. And because fans know that if they had an offense, they had a chance to to win, maybe even be a playoff team last year. They, they rose to number two in the country. But they, they didn't have the offense to sustain that. So they get blown out by Purdue and Wisconsin and Michigan. Boy, to, to the point you've been making all year, if you guys are ranked in the 90s offensively, <laughs> you probably have a chance to beat Ohio State. That sounds crazy because you lost by 44 or whatever. But your defense held Ohio State in that first half, and they got worn down. Iowa's defense simply got worn down by a really dangerous offense, maybe the best offense in college football. They got worn down in the second half. I put none of that on them. But if you're competent, and it it comes back to me, like we have to ask questions about the line and Chris Doyle, I think, at this point. I brought that up after the first game. Like, the – the line thing, again, and I, I hate to just beat this, you guys used to be able to hang in games like this because you could run it for four yards of carry against anybody because your line was that good. They beat the crap out of Ohio State on the line in 2017. Mm-hmm. They bullied them. And that has just deteriorated greatly. And last year's line sucked, and you had Tyler Linderbaum, which yeah. is, I mean, one of the best offensive linemen in the draft last year. It makes me wonder why... Why did we think, with the offensive line the way it was last year and losing Tyler Linderbaum, why did we think it was going to be better this year? Because you're going off of history, and that's what these guys are supposed to be good at. You think of the Ferentz family, what do you think of? But you're going off history. You're not going off the now. Yeah, you're right. We weren't like breaking it down position by position. Well, this guy is going to be better because of this, this, and this. They've got two decades worth of developing offensive linemen to lean on, and that's Mm -hmm. why. And they're not doing that anymore. 
Did you know the guy who wrote that article for Cleveland.com? Uh, I was listening to him on the, he was on the Gazette Iowa podcast on Friday. Okay. So I went back and I listened to that this morning. And that's where I found out about the, his, his family experience. His wife is from Iowa. He's related to a lot of Iowa fans. They do a, uh, a preseason poll. Yeah. And he picked Iowa dead last in the West. <laughs> My God. And he made some really good points about man about why this was going to be a blowout. And he predicted it. He said Iowa has scored seven offensive touchdowns this season, and Ohio State might score seven in this game. And he predicted like forty-five to three final. Um, but he said that Iowa doesn't face teams with a quarterback like they're going to see. And they haven't in a long, long time. He said the last time they played 2017, it was JT Barrett, and it was Ryan Day's first year as an offensive coordinator. And the teams in the Big Ten, outside of really Ohio State, they don't have a quarterback who throws for 300-plus a game. And he said the only team that Iowa really faces that can throw the ball around is Purdue. And look what happens when Iowa plays Purdue. And he said, even though this Iowa defense is really, really good, one of the tops in the country, that they were going to have a really tough time holding Ohio State under 40 points. And it's because of how bad the Iowa offense is. Despite the fact that Iowa has the better special teams... And maybe even if you put them head-to-head, maybe the defenses. Maybe if you change jerseys in that game and the Ohio State defense puts on the Iowa jerseys and the Iowa defense puts on the Ohio State jerseys, I think the defenses are very compatible. Iowa's might be a little bit better. I, I don't know. But Iowa just doesn't face teams like this because they're in this horrible division where, for whatever reason, you don't have teams that are in the 21st century offensively you've got the the wisconsin's and the minnesotas and the illinois and the northwesterns wisconsin's made that change it looks like it's already paying off they looked good against purdue they looked really really good nebraska's the another team that can score some points but that's it's like purdue nebraska sometimes wisconsin in that division and Iowa rarely faces Ohio State. And when they've played Iowa State under Campbell, Campbell has by all means lost his mind and tried to play that way too when they yep. have the ability to throw it around, and they haven't. Right? And that's mm-hmm. been my biggest frustration with Iowa State in that rivalry over the last five years or so. Um, okay, let's, let's really quick just hit on Iowa State and then we'll move on to everything else in college football. Iowa State coming off of a bye. Oh, real real quick, I'm sorry. I wanted to get this in. They have to start Padilla on Saturday. You have to – you can't say, Alex, your only opportunity is halftime of the Ohio State game. That would be incredibly unfair. You have to start Alex Padilla on Saturday. Are we, we agree on that, correct? 100%. Okay. Give him all the first-team reps and – Kirk Ferentz said after the game, he was asked about it a few different times, uh, the quarterback situation moving forward. And he said, it's really hard to evaluate on this game. We're going to look at the film and we'll talk about it on Tuesday. So he didn't he didn't shed any light on that situation. I guess the only good thing is he didn't say, oh, Spencer's still our quarterback. Yeah, no, he, this is a no-brainer of no-brainer. Like, you have to. You have Why to Why not Labus? I mean, Fine. To, I don't care. It, it, look it, to you, the future for once. Well, the season is shot. Like, do, do Iowa fans really care if they maybe have a chance to go win six games and go to some shitty bowl game? No. Look to the future. Start putting some new guys in there. Develop. I've been told that Labus is that far behind Petrus. Yeah. I've been told that Petrus is an all-world quarterback in practice, which how in the world is that possible? Is he going against Iowa's scout team? How does Iowa's offensive line 
block Iowa's defensive line. What is going on in practice? How is that possible? My dad, I was talking to my dad after the game. He's like, you guys have to talk about this on the podcast. What's going on in practice? How can that offensive line do anything against this Iowa defense? How does Petrus have any time to throw it? And how do these wide receivers get open against the secondary that Iowa has? (laughs) What the hell is going on in practice? (laughs) It's a good point. Like, is is Petrus just like a totally different guy where... Because you have to be pretty damn good to look good against that Iowa defense. C.J. Stroud didn't look very good against that Iowa defense. Like, is is Petrus out there just humming it around? (laughs) By the way, I I tweeted this. It was in the first quarter on Saturday. And I swear to God, this is the best chance for Iowa to win games this year. Put DeGene at quarterback. Do twin running backs, twin tight ends. Go to a freaking wing tee. And play to your defense and special teams. I swear to God, I'm not joking. Like, I had a couple of media members telling me to put down my bottle of Cody Rhodes. I hadn't even started drinking yet. <laughs> well, you were just drinking beer at the time. You hadn't yeah, had the whiskey. I was drinking Bush Light. It didn't even count. Yeah, it's water. Um, I'm, I swear to God, that would be the best chance that they have to win games. That would be a better option uh, than they have right now. They would, they would average considerably more yards per play. They wouldn't have all the incomplete passes to lengthen these games. They would be playing to their defense and their freaking all-star punter. Did you hear what, uh, I, I think it was Jenny Taft before the game, was talking about what Iowa did in practice this week to mimic C.J. Stroud. And she said that they, they were putting in wide receivers to play the quarterback position to mimic what C.J. Stroud does. I just wonder what that looked like. And I would if, pay to see that. And if that was better than what we've seen from actual quarterbacks. How, how does Brian Ferentz scheme up the scout team to mimic uh, right. Ohio State? How the hell does he know? Like, that is, well, I mean, but but that's more creativity than we've seen yeah. from this offense. I, I come back to, we had this conversation uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, like, what the hell is so complicated about Iowa's offense that everybody keeps talking about? Oh, he knows the offense so well. Ferentz said that in the off. Chad Leistico pulled a quote from the Brian becoming the quarterbacks coach thing last year. And Kirk's, well, he knows our offense probably as well as anybody. What the hell is there to know? But when you hear them talk about it, doesn't it sound complicated to you? Oh, yeah. Don't, don't they make it sound complicated? Petrus and Brian Ferentz specifically, they make it sound like it's rocket science. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's the, the offensive playbook and the terminology is 100 pages when it should be one. Let's walk before we try to fly. Hey, real quick, uh, shout out to Circus Sports, Circus Sports Iowa. I keep getting these tweets, folks. You guys are downloading the Circus Sports Iowa app and you're like, holy mackerel, the lines are better. Yeah, I've been trying to tell you. If you're not in the game yet, download the Circus Sports Iowa app. I promise you, you're going to get better lines. You're going to enjoy it. Also, shout out to – we had somebody tweet into us that they were in Vegas this last weekend, hassle, mm-hmm. and they spent the majority of their time at Circa because of us, which is nice. phenomenal. Great. So hang out, there, hang out there a couple more months, and maybe we'll see you. We yeah, go. there you go. Um, Cyclone Sexiest. Oh. <laughs> the name yeah hung out at uh circa because of us that's phenomenal thank you we appreciate that uh iowa state coming off of a bye week two point underdogs to oklahoma on saturday uh iowa state i'm watching these big 12 games on saturday and it's actually quite infuriating watching texas at the time was beating oklahoma state and i'm just like or Kansas State's up 18 on TCU. Now, clearly they end up losing that game. <laughs> but I'm just sitting there being like, felt like Iowa State should have won those games, right? Yeah. You, you you feel like you should have beaten these teams that are at the top of the league, and here you are at 0-4. It just feels like you're so close, yet you're so far away. 
because of that that 0-4 record. I wanted to do predictions on the next half of the season. What is Iowa State's final record? I'll tell you right now, I will go 6-6. Six and six. I I think they turn it around and go 3-2 and two the rest of the way. I don't think that they'll do any better than that. I'll give them 6-6 six and six and go to a minor bowl game. Can Van Winkelstein pop the uh, schedule up there so we can go through this thing? Yeah. Like, do you think they're going to beat Oklahoma this week? They better. That's one of the ones I'm giving them. <laughs> Did Oklahoma was off last week, is that right? They're off last week, yeah. Coming off the, uh, they they got their first win against Kansas, and Kansas has taken that downturn now. That Kansas, I'll give Kansas a little credit. They were getting killed by Baylor, and then found a mm-hmm. had a little bit of gumption, came back in the in the second half of that one. Um, they've they've got Oklahoma this week, and then you've got Texas Tech the week after that. Iowa State's schedule, believe it or not, does lighten up just a little bit you still have West Virginia at home I'm gonna give them I'm gonna give them home wins over West Virginia and Texas Tech and then that's, that's gonna it you're gonna have them at five and seven no I'm not saying that I'm just oh, saying I'm okay. gonna give them those right now okay and I do think that they will win one of the other games whether it's home against Oklahoma this week at Oklahoma State or at TCU because to your point and I, I think at TCU is a better chance for Iowa State than at Oklahoma State. But to your point, I don't think there's that big of a difference between the bottom of the Big 12 Iowa State and the top of the Big 12 TCU. I think they can get one of those games. I, and I think that they... When's the last time they've gone through a season without picking off a Big 12 team that people didn't expect them to beat? It should have been against Texas mm-hmm. last game. Maybe that was it their wasn't. chance, you know? Maybe, maybe it was, but I, I think they'll get one of those games, either Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, or TCU. I like the fact that it's a younger team that played close games, and then you get the bye. Um, do, you, do you think that they made use of the bye a little bit better than maybe Iowa did? Boy, I hope What so. did Iowa do in that bye week, by the way? What the hell did they do besides script that opening play thrown directly to the defender. Did they scheme up that what was that dumbass reverse? They always run some dumbass like cutesy little reverse. The reverse that, that they works. ran in the fourth quarter against Iowa State was criminally negative. They're always good on the for that. part on the part of Brian Ferentz. Is <laughs> an Iowa State fan like I, I couldn't help but laugh at that reverse cuz it they never catch anybody off guard because there's no threat to the outside leading up to it, right? Like, and I'm sorry for bringing it back to Iowa, but no, do you remember the, the first half the, uh, of the game this week? I, I don't know if it was the first or second quarter, but on third and nine, they tried to run a bubble screen to the tight end. And of course it was blown up for a loss of two. A bubble screen. Then both tight ends were out there. So they did have one tight end blocking. And they they, they, they thought that the other tight end was going to be able to block and open up. Are you kidding me? Against that those athletic guys? You think that even Sam Laporta, who is a really, really good tight end, but he's not, he's not blazing fast. You think running a bubble screen against Ohio State with a tight end is going to work? Huh. I digress. I'm sorry. We were talking about Iowa State. Yeah, that's all I got. By the play. way, you mentioned that uh, you mentioned that Iowa State or that the guy who tweeted at you that was at Circa. Yeah, and his his Twitter handle was like Cyclone Sexiest. Yeah, 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 yeah. That must have sent off like some kind of alarm on YouTube because yeah, our I'll... comment section starts getting overrun by the best adult dating sites. Hey, uh, One, can you pull that actual website? 18sex.xyz says best adult dating site, 28. <laughs> I didn't even think of that, that that triggered the bots. That's crazy. O- overrunning our comment section. That's wild. Um, all right. Do we have Chris's call? Man, you had one of the games. Nah, of the it was weekend. a fun game. God, that was fun. I missed. I had the over. And. That that game was like ten to six it was, at halftime. It was seventy two and a half the total. Yeah. And it I was, played the over. I pounded it. It was six to three at halftime. 
<laughs> Three field it's like goals. A Big Ten That's West it. game. Yes. Until the second half. That's when we got going. You got me locked in. Harris has time down the middle. decision do you run a play or you just kill the clock i think they're just going to spike it no they're going to go ahead and run a play right here they snap it with 22 harris fade end zone touchdown to corey and clark and the roadrunners are back on top for the final seconds that that was a great call and you've got me hooked on conference usa football it's fun isn't it oh had just, uh, uab in western kentucky down to the yes. wire on friday night phenomenal and the so the dome man was hopping that place was yeah like so it was on fire they don't need many fans in there to get the place going but they've got a good fan base they had close to thirty thousand fans there and wow. what they do is they block off the upper deck and they have everybody sit close together down low they bus in the students from the um the campus which is not within walking distance that's the one problem that they have with with that dome is that they have to bust the students in but they do it jeff trailer that was one of his things as a head coach is get the we're going to get these kids in i'm going to feed them and we're going to get them here and they're going to love it and they make a huge difference that is one of the best home field advantages a group of five team has and they're going to the American next year, unfortunately. I'm sad to see them leave Conference USA, but that is a program that is skyrocketing. That program, they didn't start playing football until 2011. And they are the team in San Antonio. I mean, sure, you've got probably your Texas fans, your Texas A&M fans, but that city is behind the Roadrunners. They love the Roadrunners. They show up for them. They've got a great tailgating scene there. And they've got one of the best coaches in the country in Jeff Trailer. They were 11-0 last season. They were ranked 15th in the AP poll. North Texas beat them in the final game of the regular season. That was the team, North Texas, that almost beat them this week. But that was so, so much fun. It was back and forth in the fourth quarter. Every time UTSA took the lead, North Texas would come back with a huge play. It was and awesome. UTSA had it last and and won it. It was it was one of the the better football games I've ever had a chance to call. You called it beside Bob Davey too. Was which that was I fun? Love. Yeah, I'm a huge yeah. fan of him. I, Me it too. Was awesome. I grew up, you know, listening to him on ESPN. He called a ton of Iowa games because yeah. he had that that 11 a.m. Central Time window on ESPN. He called almost every Iowa game in the Brad Banks season of yeah. 2002, and. Man, he was he was so much fun to work with. He brought his wife there, um, and that just everything was was great about that because I got to put the Iowa game out of my mind. <laughs> I watched you know the first half and then kind of checked in a little bit the second half. Saw some of Padilla, but it was nice to just be able to forget about that and focus on real football, real offense. You always remember how people treat you when you're new or starting something and you're young. And it was, I think, the first Big 12 media day that I had ever covered. It was in Kansas City, so that tells you how long ago it was when the when they still played championship games at Arrowhead. And I, I interviewed Bob Davey, who was there like on behalf of ESPN. You know how they send the, their guys mm-hmm. sometimes. And Bob Davey, I was this dumb, young kid who had no idea what he was doing. Um, Mr. Davey, can I ask you some questions? And he couldn't have been more gracious to me and, and nice to me and was super respectful. And I, I, that's, how I, that's why I became such a Bob Davey fan. Uh, He's a great guy. Yeah. And a great football mind. He was seeing things on the All-22 camera faster than, than most analysts I've ever worked with. And uh, I did meet it. I did meet. I forget his name. Dang it! But I met a. I met a big two guys named Chris fan there, who oh, works wow. for UTSA. He went to Iowa State. Um, oh, Roosevelt Majit. No, was it Rosie? No, it wasn't Roosevelt. Well, I, Ro- no, I, Rosie's no, no. on the UTSA staff. I know. I didn't. I didn't see him. Oh, okay. Uh, 
but he uh, he works for UTSA. He's not a coach. Okay. He works in the SID department. He graduated from Iowa State in oh, 2019. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. I wanted to just point something out. I'm watching the games late. I'm watching my cocks late on Saturday. Your mom night. loves the cocks. Loves the cocks. She. she She's got to be ecstatic right now because as the much cocks as she are... loves the cocks, she hates Dabo. Just despises Dabo Sweeney, which I appreciate because I'm not a big Dabo guy. Dabo yet. hates cocks. Yeah. Mom loves them. Salivates when they come on the TV. We're watching South Carolina beat Texas A&M Saturday night, and I'm kind of going through my phone looking at everything else that happened during the day. Miami loses to Duke (laughs) with eight turnovers for the the U. They had eight turnovers in the game? Eight turnovers in the game. They... Duke scored 28 unanswered, I think, to win that one. I think they were down like 21 to nothing or something. Like, no, no, it wasn't 21 nothing, but they scored 28 unanswered at some point in that game. The, the Blue Devils did. I just wanted to make this point in this world of NIL. and So Miami and Texas A&M are like the champion NIL teams, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, great yeah. graphic by Van Winkle. They're both three and four. I, I would have put Oklahoma and Texas in like the tier two category of this probably from the off season four and three Oklahoma's one and three in the big 12 Texas is five and three overall the um it, the the one that I feel like it might be working be USC they've clearly bounced back it's not <laughs> my point is the teams that spend the most money aren't guaranteed no. to win in this era of college football that culture and development and all that stuff still matter. I just wanted to point that out. I thought this is a fascinating week. And You're right. A&M and Miami are both below 500. Texas already has three losses, even though, boy, they've looked really good at times with Quinn Ewers. Oklahoma is a little bit different to me just because I, I feel like they were out of necessity. Correct, I would agree. If Lincoln Riley was still there, they wouldn't have had to go to the transfer portal like they did. And for USC, maybe the jury's still out. It looks good right I think now. they're going to end up being a winner when it comes mm-hmm. to that. But it, it, that's one team. And, and they're playing in the Pac-12. I'm sorry. Right, right. It's a different... The Oklahoma and Texas deals, like specifically Oklahoma, I put them in there less because of the... the I think Texas spent a ton of NIL money, which is fine. But they each had like 30 newcomers as far as transfers go, which but my point is like continuity matters. But the problem is, is it is going to still continue to benefit the best teams in the country even more like no Alabama. Doubt. Alabama is still is still benefiting from it as well. I mean, they're, they are going to benefit more than it hurts them. They're going to get more good players in the transfer portal than lose. So that's going to make them even better, the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world. But some of these other teams, you're right. You can't, you can't just buy I mean, look at the Yankees. What do they have, one World Series title in, in the last 20 years? It doesn't always work, but it usually always gives you a better chance to the, win. The problem is when the like the Georgias of the world can sit there and just and just pick, pick off. Yeah, like oh my god, we need, you know what? We're, we we're not corner. an A plus at this position. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go grab this guy off of Georgia Tech. That's going to be much more effective than what you saw Miami do in the offseason. I'm so sick of the Miami thing. And I don't. I I, I I said this earlier in the year when they lost their first game. Like I don't get why they are still so sexy. Because watch them play on Saturday at home. Look at the atmosphere in that building and off campus, way off campus, Hard Rock Stadium where the Dolphins play. The thing is half full. There's no there's no atmosphere. It's not loud. It is not college. It doesn't feel like a college game. It feels like a it feels like an XFL game or an AAF game. So I, I don't get why we still think 
that all these recruits want to go to Miami because of the U. I wouldn't want to go play there. I mean, I know I, if I had, you know, I, look, I, I'm probably not their clientele, but they're looking for athletes. Talking about but, atmospheres, look at this one from Stanford. Oh, my God. On set, Who are like, they playing? There's, there's nobody there. They're playing Arizona State. And that's that's a big problem with the Pac-12 West Coast schools, too, is fans just don't care. They, they don't have a big fan base, and they don't care. They're all Whether at the it's beach. Stanford or Cal or UCLA. No, they don't, it's not like here. Like so, like we were talking about Iowa earlier. Will the fans still go to the games? Well, probably, because they wait all year. It's like what well, this is what we do. I'm sorry, I keep laughing because I keep looking at the comments that Ross Tucker is uh, leaving on uh, YouTube. I don't know if we can. <laughs> Do we think that Texas can handle the Cox? Not right now. No, South Carolina would destroy Texas right now. Yeah, I was, I was wrong on my Texas read a couple. Yeah, you weeks had them ago. top five in the country. At times, Dude, they did look like that. I mean, against Alabama early on in that game. Did you see the viewers? Texas had fourteen penalties on Saturday. Oklahoma State had zero. Wow. I will say that's one area where Iowa is not faltering this year is they're they're still not committing penalties. Hang your hat on that, buddy. Hang your discipline. Hat on that. Discipline, winning in the margins, right? Discipline. There. And Special you know the coaches teams. the coaches have discipline too, because they, they aren't making big changes when they when they could and when some think they should. Um that's about it for two guys named Chris. Fun show. Well, it wasn't that fun. I mean we tried to make it fun. I I still like I don't understand how Iowa is an eleven point favorite on Saturday. I don't either. Uh, do they know something we don't? Are they? Is it? Well, it's quite terrifying, actually. I, I, what if they go? If they do go with Alex Padilla, does that's that worth a mind? touchdown over going with Petrus? And I, I don't think, even so think too. Padilla's that good, but I think just the boost that it gives you, got a guy who can run a little bit. I'm I'm all I'm all screwed up here because I see Ross Tucker on the uh, the YouTube channel leaving. I don't understand questionable why. comments, and I just I just get a text on my phone from Ross Tucker, the former NFL guy who I'm calling a game with this week, talking about. Our, very very different. Uh, I don't understand why this Ross Tucker in the YouTube can't just understand the fact that my mom is a she's a cock, born and raised. Did she go Lisa. there? No, but she had an uncle who taught there, and that her whole family was South Carolina fans. Her so. uncle taught her the way of the Cox? Her uncle was a journalism professor. Uncle At Dean. South Carolina? Yeah. I didn't know they... God rest his soul. Oh. He's huh. dead. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, where are you at this weekend? I'm home here. I'm at FAU. I got FAU hosting UAB. Both teams coming off really disappointing losses. The voice of the Blazers. <laughs> I've got them three straight weeks now. I had one week off, and now I've got them, I think, three games in a row. I've got UAB. They got that quarterback figured out? What do you mean? Didn't they lose a quarterback on Yeah, Friday? I don't know. He, it looked like he might have gone into concussion protocol. Oh, okay. They're starting right. quarterback, and I, yeah. I would hope that he's back because that changed the game. Yeah. If, if Dylan Hopkins didn't wouldn't have gotten injured, UAB would have beaten Western Kentucky. I'm sorry you lost that bet, Chris. Two guys named Chris were presented by Fairway, where you get the best insight on the Hawkeyes, Cyclones, and Conference USA. Fairway will never let you down like our teams do. <laughs> no, you go to that meat market. Oh, now that's just the one of names. But the good thing about Fairway is they all have awesome meat markets. You don't have oh, to yeah. go specifically to the meat markets. Um, Matt Van Winkle, good job today as always. Our, uh, we're starting to develop a bit of a trend here in the, the commenters section that like to have fun with the show. We appreciate that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Thursday, 8.30. Uh, Rose and Bloom, Jordan and J-Bo will keep you updated until then. Of course, um, Ken Miller and Mike Palm as well. For Chris Hassel, Matt Van Winkle, I am Chris Williams. Signing off here on Iowa Everywhere. 
Iowa everywhere.